John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, of course, we start off this Friday with uh, big news, and uh, let's get right to the big news. The big news is that uh, starting tomorrow, uh, my show from uh, 8 till uh, 9 now becomes from 8 till 10. And so uh, we got an extra hour to take your phone calls from 8 until 10. And Curtis Rogers, why don't you make the announcement on the next part of it? Oh, yes, yeah, Seattle Sports Saturday after a well, COVID took us off the air for a few months. We're back, Taylor Jacobs and myself, so we're getting going from 10 to noon. So we're going to have plenty of coverage tomorrow leading up to a huge Sunday night game with the Seahawks all day. It starts, I believe our broadcast day starts at 6 a.m., and it, it goes all day long tomorrow. So you do not want to miss that. Yeah, and, of course, what ends up happening is a, a Cougar show that's going to be on from 12 until 3. Then they're going to replay Huddle. They're going to replay all the couple of different things during the week. I know uh, all those things. And so basically we're going to be on with uh, football, uh, college, and NFL all the way from uh, 8 o'clock until 7. So that's good news. So Saturday's turning into another big football day, but it's going to be good to be able to get back at that extra hour to take your phone calls and good to have Sports Saturday back. Good to be back, John. It's, it's looking like it's uh, full-blown football season now. Absolutely. Well, let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Oh, man, they're electric. Uh, they're on point right now. Uh, they had a great game against, you know, Dallas. Um, they're on fire, you know, they're clicking together. Um, you know, just watching them, you know, they're on point. You know, Kyler Murray's having a great start. Um, Ken's doing a great job. And, you know, they got D-Hop over there. They, they got some weapons on but, you know, I'm excited to play you guys. It'll be a real great game. Excited about this game, which has now been moved to Sunday night, the third time now in six games. The Seahawks will be playing on a Sunday night. This, of course, is going to be in Arizona, and the reason for that is that the Las Vegas Raiders had uh, Trenton Brown get a positive test early in the week, and so because of that, they sent all the other starting offensive linemen home, and this was on Monday. They also, because <clears throat> for whatever reason, you know, Trenton was in contact with Jonathan Abrams, the uh, safety. <clears throat> they, he was in contact with him on Tuesday, uh, so they basically put him on the COVID list. Now, the way it's going to work is that, uh, you know, they're going to play the game at uh, 1 o'clock, and uh, Seahawks, of course, get the 520 start. And then the reason they did that is just in case there was going to be any problem with the Raiders and if they had to cancel, because again, you don't want to cancel a Sunday night game or postpone a Sunday night game, because not only do you have it on uh, NBC, but you also have it on uh, uh, you know real big broadcast as far as what's going on on uh, Amazon, you know, because again, that's sixty-five plus million dollars for the league on that, and so this game's now going to be you know at least with the Seahawks game that now makes it a Sunday night game for the third time this year. So Arizona comes in with an exciting offense, uh, <clears throat> offense that's been a little inconsistent, the one that's really running the ball more, and <clears throat> surprisingly, even though it's an air raid off or uh, not an air raid. But it's yeah, an air raid offense, but it's got you know so much more two tight end sets than they normally have. Even though their their best tight end Max Williams is on injured reserve, so Arizona's coming in on the short week. They'll uh, had the Monday night game, which of course they blew out the Dallas Cowboys thirty eight to ten. So this is going to be one where it should be a tough opponent, but a good test to see how the Seahawks match up in this division, which is considered to be the best division in football, maybe alongside the AFC North, but the AFC North still has Cincinnati. <clears throat> so game time is going to start with the pregame at 2 p.m. 
<laughs> kickoff is going to be at 520. You'll be able to hear it Sunday on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number two. I've got, I've got to know him over the past four or five years. You know, f- five years, I would say. The reality about Antonio is he's, he's one of the best players to ever play this, this game, obviously. You know, I think that he's always been a special player in, in terms of the field. You know, the reality is with Antonio, he's he's had some tough moments in his life, you know, you know, especially as of late. And I think that he's gone through a lot of uh, things that he wishes he could take back and do and just you know, not say or whatever it may be. But I think that he's... Uh, uh, you know, a, a special player for sure. I, I developed a relationship personally with him, um, and uh, you know, and just not everybody's perfect. You know, and I think that's just the reality. None of us are, and uh, you know, and so hopefully, hopefully, he gets to play football again. So the question is going to be: Is he going to play football with the Seattle Seahawks? And uh, <clears throat> it's one that Pete Carroll confirmed that they are interested. Russell Wilson is kind of pushing for it, but now the question be: Is it a wise thing to do? And of course, I kind of question it because again, he's like he's such a problem and a headache and all those different things. But as Russell did say, he has been a great player. And he also works very hard at his craft in in off-the-field practices and all those different things. But, uh, you know, my read on it should be, okay, if he's willing to sign on the practice squad, which is, of course, $12,000, and then wait it a little bit. Now, remember, the thing is, he's not available until week nine because he has to serve the first eight games uh, and miss those. And it's not Seahawks games because, of course, the Seahawks have been in the uh, they had the bye week. So he's available in week nine. Now, the question is, do you do anything with him? And is there going to be any extended extension? Because he still has one lawsuit that's out there that uh, is kind of nasty against a, uh, a female trainer that he had. So Antonio Brown on the radar. We'll see if he's going to be brought in. Number three. And, you know, I mean, going to work today, um, have, you know, ha- had a good day. Uh, but just not my best day, you know. So it's it, it happens. It's, it's life. So you gotta you gotta you gotta manage that. You gotta you gotta take your lumps, take your L's, and, and just learn from it, man. So that's Jamal Adams talking <clears throat> about trying to come back from the groin injury, and you kind of get the idea that it's probably not going to happen this week. You know, he's still not 100%. I don't know if he's going to be 100%. Uh, it's going to take a couple of weeks maybe for that. But uh, he did not practice yesterday. That's not a good sign. You know, Dwayne Brown didn't practice because of the knee, but he'll be able to play. Mike Yupati with the back, you think he's going to be able to play even though he didn't practice. Limited, <clears throat> but look expected to play are Quentin Dunbar with the knee, Jordan Brooks with the knee, Carlos Hyde with the shoulder, Benson Mayola with the knee, and Anthony Rush with the knee. You know, maybe Rush may not be able to go, but uh, it's important for Dunbar because he has to go against DeAndre Hopkins most of the day. Hopkins did not practice because of an ankle injury, but they're just being very cautious about that. As far as other injuries for the Cardinals, <clears throat> uh, tackle uh, Kevin, Kevin Beachler, he was out with an ankle injury, and cornerback Jay Kirkpatrick out with a foot. Number four. But the job gets a little bit tougher. Wentz throws, pass is caught. Touchdown, Boston Scott. Well, the Thursday night comedy show, which was, of course, the NFC East with Philadelphia playing the Giants. And it's like a new comedy series about how what a joke the NFC East is. And they proved it in this game. Now, it turned out to be a thrilling finish. You know, the Eagles had to come back and uh, get a 22 to 21 win. They got to go ahead drive with the final two minutes. But I mean, a game where you had uh, the guy that's setting records right now, Daniel Jones, for turnovers, you know, because he's got more turnovers than anybody but um, what Ryan Leaf 
in his first, say, what, 20 some games. You know, he ended up getting a run from the 10, 12 yard line, and he gets to the 20 yard line with nobody around him, and he trips and just goes right to the ground. And then, of course, the Giants just collapse in the final seconds. Carson Wentz bouncing back, even though he had eight starters. Eight starters injured on offense, went 25 for 43 for 359 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But they were able to get the win. And now in that uh, NFC least, you know, they got a 2-4-1 and one record, the Eagles do, and that leads the division. How bad is that? So next Sunday, and that's going to be on Sunday night, is that the Eagles are going to face the Dallas Cowboys to really see who is going to probably win that division. Because, you know, when you look at it, okay, you've got the Giants. You know, they're 3-0 and with Daniel Jones in his last 18 games against the Redskins. So you think there's an advantage there for the Giants. And he's 0-15 against the rest of the league. That's in his last 18 games. Giants now, they're going to face Tampa Bay next Monday night. That should be a real thriller. Ugh. Number five. I counted how many times this year I wondered, are the are the Rays in trouble here? Are they in trouble in the division? Are they in trouble in the playoffs? And are they in trouble in the World Series? And every time I ask that question, they go out and win. Which speaks directly to how good the Rays are as a club. They play the game the right way and they come out firing like they did. Brandon Lau in the first inning. They are 32-7 and seven when they score first in a game this season and in the playoffs. They did it the right way in game two, and now we have a series. I think a lot of people thought the, the Rays had to win game two if they're going to win this series. So Tim Kirchin excited about the World Series, which is even at one game apiece, L.A. and Tampa Bay. And that series, after the day off yesterday, is resuming tonight. Ray will start uh, Charlie Morton tonight in that uh, he's 3-0 and so far with an 0-5-7 earn run average in three starts. That's pretty darn good. You know, the Dodgers will go with their number two starter, Walter Bueller, uh, who has four playoff starts this season. He's 1-0 and with a 1.89 earn run average. You know that the Rays will go to the bullpen pretty early because that's one of the things that they do, but uh, you know, we'll see how Morton can do. But again, he's 3-0, 0-5-7 and 3 starts. That game is going to be at 5-10 with the first pitch, and you can hear it only on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, you can listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go into further review and talk about what the Seahawks need to do to slow down two key players, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, of course, uh, first game for the Seahawks in the NFC West as they get that debut going against an Arizona Cardinal team that they probably need to have a little bit of vengeance because Arizona came in, outplayed them in Week 17, and almost, and took away their chance to be the number one seed in the NFC last year. And so uh, this is one where you know, it's not, again you want to try to win because again if you you want to try to get as many wins in this division as you can because this team should and has done a great job of winning the out-of-division games, 5-0 and so far, and a great chance to go, depending on what you think of Philadelphia, 8-2 eight, eight and two, if you think Philly's going to be good by the time they play them. You know, right now they're still on pace to maybe a 6-9-1 and one, uh, record, uh, which, of course, can be vulnerable. And, of course, you got Buffalo on the road. You know, If you can go 4-2 and two in this division, you have a great chance to get 13 wins and a great chance to then be the number one seed because you're going against Green Bay. You're going against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay already has two losses. And so right now the Seahawks undefeated at 5-0. and oh. But the 
challenge is going to be Arizona. And say what you want, the Arizona team that beat the Seahawks in Seattle in Week uh, 16 last year is better. I mean, you've got uh, DeAndre Hopkins added. You've got Kyler Murray kind of going up and down, trying to see where he is. And then, of course, the defense a little bit better. But, again, we don't know exactly where the defense is because uh, Char- you know, Chandler Jones, their best pass rusher and the best pass rusher in the league since 2016, is out for the season with a pec injury. So now we'll find out how to try to do this. And the challenge is going to be, how do you try to slow down Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins? Michael Bumpus was asked about that today when he's on with Danny and Gallant. Bump, who do you worry about more as these two try to figure out how to become a top wide receiver quarterback combination? Is it Kyler Murray if you're the Seahawks defense or is it DeAndre Hopkins? It's Kyler Murray, because without Kyler Murray, Hopkins isn't getting the rock, right? Kyler Murray has to be on point. And then what Kyler Murray does when the ball's in his hand, when the play breaks down, when they run that draw, the the draw that they run, they execute it perfectly. Drake does a great job of getting on the second level. The receivers sell the go. They act like they're running a route down the field. They end up blocking. And they let, they let Kyler Murray be special. Um, so it has to be Kyler Murray. Now, I respect Hopkins. I mean, he, he's going to be able to get behind defenders if they do run screens or crossing routes like they showed him. Uh, was it Monday night against the Dallas Cowboys where he goes across the field, he can catch the rock, and the run after the catch is great. But it's all about the quarterback. Kyler Murray gets this thing done. If he's not on point, if his mechanics aren't, mechanics aren't good, he's not getting the ball to Hopkins, and there is no Hopkins. So the guy who touches the ball the most, it has to be Kyler Murray. Six touchdowns, second in the NFL. He's a quarterback. Six rushing touchdowns. Excuse me. Seattle have the speed to track. How do you how do you stop a guy that's that quick? I, I have nightmares about Kyler Murray skittling and skittering around through Seattle's defense, just running circles around him. How do you stop? How do you keep him contained? Exactly what you said. Contain those ends have to force him to step up inside the pocket. Don't let him get outside. Once he goes east and west, that's the game he wants to play. He's a little guy. He's smaller than me. I'm five eleven. Once he gets outside, he's good to go. Make him go inside the pocket. Make him have to deal with number fifty four and number fifty. Make him have to look them in their eyes and make a move because they're some of the best in the game at that linebacker position. Once he gets outside, that's a fast man's game. Bobby Wagner, big ups, one of the greatest linebackers of all time, that's not his game. KJ, big ups, one of the greatest Seahawks linebackers of all time, that's not his game. So if they can force him to step up inside the pocket and work going north-south instead of east-west, that's your best bet. And then spy him and blitz him. He's a young quarterback. He's still learning the position. He's still working the kinks out. Make him have to decide. Make him have to to change the protection. Make him have to hold guys accountable. Make him be a thinker. That's how you do it. And of course, that's, uh, and I agree that I think Kyler Murray is the one that you got to stop because he's the quarterback and he's going to be somebody that's going to be growing in this division each year. And I think he's going to get better and better and better. And I think he's on the plane where it's uh, obviously he's not the MVP in his second year like uh, Lamar Jackson was, but I think long term he might actually be better than Lamar Jackson, you know, because he can run. I think that you can see he's got a, I think, a better, more accurate arm, although again, it's been inconsistent this year. His mechanics seems to be off a little bit. And I think that uh, you know, even though he knows this offense because he's been in it all his life, pretty much that uh, you know he's they're still kind of working through some kinks and all that stuff. <clears throat> in the case of Hopkins, this is going to be the ultimate test for uh, Quentin Dunbar. 
And that's why it's important that, you know, he had the time to rest up because he's going to be challenged. The one thing in the air raid offense that King, that Cliff Kingsbury runs is that he prefers to, you know, keep one guy on one side, which would be Hopkins, <clears throat> and try to throw to that side as much as possible. And that's going to be Dunbar's side. And so it's going to be up to Dunbar to try to contain Hopkins, which is not going to be easy because arguably with uh, Michael Thomas out, uh, Hopkins is the best receiver in football right now, and so now they you try to contain him. Then, of course, in the case of Kyler, that's why it's going to hurt Seattle with the likelihood that uh, you're not going to have Jamal Adams out there because you know Jamal would be the one that plays like Buda Baker and can chase down if uh, outside the pocket uh, Kyler Murray goes. So. And that's going to be the challenge, and again, you know, the the key is trying to contain this offense because again, you you can see that even like in the last game, you know, <clears throat> Quint, uh, Kyler Murray had to throw more short passes, and he has this tendency now, whatever it is, at different games where guy can be wide open and he'll just miss him. I mean, there was a play in the back of the end zone with Larry Fitzgerald last Monday night, and he just missed him and uh, just way overthrew him. And, of course, he missed a 20-yard pass with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. But, again, that's not to say that uh, Murray is not good. He is. And he's going to be, I think, as time goes on, the second-best quarterback in a division right now that has two other quarterbacks who've taken teams to the Super Bowl, that, of course, being Jared Goff and also Jimmy Garoppolo. So this is going to be the challenge, and, of course, this is going to be the challenge for the next five weeks in taking on four division teams. And then the tough part is – Four, uh, three, uh, and those four of those five games are going to be on the road. Now, I know there's going to be a limited number of people, like 4,000 or so, that are going to be allowed to attend a game in Arizona, so you don't worry about crowd noise. But, Curtis Rogers, I mean, your thoughts right now, uh, how do you see this matchup with Seattle going against Arizona? The one thing I add to this, you know, particularly if Arizona is going to be a running team, which they probably will be, Seattle, if you get into a shootout, will have a distinct advantage. Yeah, they will, because they've got the ability to get those chunk yardages uh, in any sort of passing situation with the wide receiver group that they have. I worry, John, and maybe I would be more worried if Kyler Murray didn't have the accuracy issues he had on Monday night where he was overthrowing a lot of people early on in that game. Uh, but with the wide receiver group he has with Hopkins and with uh, Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and all those guys... Uh, I get the I, I get a sense that this game may end up being like the Cowboys game, where you've got two quarterbacks that are just going to be throwing it like crazy and, and picking up huge yardage. I'd be stunned if the Seahawks keep Kyler Murray under 300 yards passing uh, on Sunday because just you don't have Jamal Adams. Uh, you know, Quentin Dunbar's availability is still in question. There, you know, the Seahawks secondary. Let's be honest, right now, it's it's not great, uh, and the Seahawks are are doing things offensively that allows for them to, you know, to take their foot off the gas pedal, so to speak, defensively. I just think Sunday is going to be a high scoring affair down in in Arizona, and like you said, there's no crowd to impact this game at all. Uh, so, you know, it, it's basically a neutral site in, in a sense, and you know, the Seahawks. Down in Arizona, I believe they haven't lost in Arizona for it's been a long time. I believe it was Russell Wilson's first game as a starting quarterback back in 2012 was the last time Seattle lost to Arizona. Um, I just think it's going to be more of the same from what we've seen from the Seahawks over the first five games uh, coming up tomorrow or coming up Sunday night. Yeah, no doubt, and that's going to be the uh, <clears throat> the big challenge. But of course, <clears throat> as much as they've won in Arizona, they've also lost because basically. 
you can say the Legion of Boom was lost in Arizona you know, because you had the uh, injury with Earl Thomas and his leg and the fracture. You had the Achilles tendon injury with Richard Sherman. And so there's been some bad things that have come out because that's broke up the, the strength and the keys and the guys that led that uh, 2013 team. And it really put this team on the map as a Super Bowl contender, the Legion of Boom. Yeah, and just the craziness that's yeah. gone on in that in that whole stadium, John. Uh, that that's where every member of the Legion of Boom saw their career end, or at least their Seahawks career end. Earl Thomas carted off, Cam Chancellor with the neck injury, Richard Sherman with the Achilles. Uh, it's been a house of horrors. Even though the Seahawks have had success, at least in the regular season, we all know what happened Super Bowl Forty Nine. Uh, it's just one of the most bizarre things that you know. It's unexplained, too, why Seattle has never really been able to play a normal game uh, down in the desert. Uh, who knows why it is, and uh, I I feel like, John, it's just going to be more of, of what we have seen from the Seahawks team, not just in 2020, but also against these Cardinals over the last couple of years where it's just weird weird stuff, unexplained yeah. stuff. It's it's almost Halloween, John, so of <laughs> course that's why things are, are, are kind of weird down there. That really is. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we're going to chat uh, football with Charlie Casterly of the NFL Network. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us from the NFL Network is Charlie Castley, longtime general manager. It's always great to catch up with him because he's so in tune with all the trends and all the different things like that. And I know you saw the article I did for the Washington Post the other day about the haves and have-nots. We're coming into week seven. You had 10 teams with one loss or less and, you know, like about 13 or 14 have-nots. And not only now are they feeding wins to uh, the good teams, the haves, but now we're starting to see the movement with Anik Ngakwe being traded to Baltimore from a 1-5 and five Minnesota team, Jets making two trades, that now not only feeding wins to the haves, but they're feeding players. Have you ever seen more haves and have-nots than this year? No, I don't think, John. And you've you got to start to think of how much of this was caused by no offseason and no training camp. And, and a team like Minnesota, which lost a number of good players. So you, you had a question about where they're going to be, but it was all that time, you know, they had to rebuild the, the cornerback position totally, and that was always the key to their defense, that and the pass rush. So you, you combine it with more injuries to me, it seems, this year, less practice time, so younger players aren't going to come along as fast. And I don't ever remember us having to play so many guys, we got to look them up in the program every week. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. And, he, and I guess the strange part is the pool of players available, even though there's 16 practice squads, is is so thin right now. Like, I remember uh, I counted it up, and it ironically happened on my birthday, May 11th. There was 426 uh, undrafted free agents that signed, and uh, by the time the regular season started, only 32 were left on the 53-man roster. Only 32. And right now, we're up to close to 50 because with injuries and all that i mean i know there was one today uh that went on there is that uh you know you and the pool of players right now is pretty much some guys in the street and those are the 426 who got cut and are on practice squads or out on the street no i know it's and that, that's the, the thing the battle the battle the teams have as a fight but uh, you know they had to go to the increased practice squad because of the threat of COVID. 
Uh, and I thought, oh, that made sense. Uh, I wrote an article for NFL Network. Uh, I, I would have put the practice squads at 24. Mm-hmm. I'd have had two practice teams, one offense, one defense, um, and to even ensure uh, more protection to your roster. Yeah. Which are not a bad idea because I think you can see, like, for example, the Raiders, you know, they have their starting offensive line on the COVID's program, although it looks like they should be okay with the exception of Trenton Brown. And then you know, the Jaguars put 12 practice squad players on COVID's for about five, six days and now got most of those guys off. But it's just such an unusual year. What's your thoughts on why offense is so strong this year and defense is so weak? I think it's uh, uh, defense requires a lot more teamwork. Um, especially from a strategy and a game planning point of view. Um, there's more technique involved. With offense, especially you spread them out and you can throw the ball. Um, you're isolated. Your, uh, uh, your defense, your backs, when you spread things out, it's hard to get the multiple coverages to me in and the blitzing program in. So I think those are, to me, that's what I see in it. Um, and, and that's an advantage for the offense. Yeah, and of course, I mean, the lack of holding penalties, I counted it up this week, and I'm excluding holding penalties on punts and kickoffs. In week six, there was 21 offensive holding calls made and 17 that were accepted, which now you don't get those drive-breaking uh, first and 20s, second and 15s, any of that, and that gives a quarterback and an offense, even with a running offense, more rhythm. No, it does. Yeah, absolutely. The way you break up drives is penalties and sacks, uh, other than turnovers, which is obvious. And uh, so, you know, and, and why that's the case, that's hard to say. I was on the competition committee for a long time, and obviously I was in the league for even a longer time. And, you, you know, you see things, and why isn't that called? And, and, and sometimes you question, of, is, is, is this what their trend is they're going to have this year when they do things like that? that that's hard to say because I, I wouldn't say the efficiency of offensive line play increases in this situation with the lack of practice time. Yeah, no doubt. In fact, one of the things I did, and I never published it because, again, you know, being fair to the league is that I, I always keep track of holding penalties and penalties called by officiating crews. And what I, but I, the reason I don't publish them because what I look at is those who call the fewest have the higher scoring games. And like, for example, Eugene Steratore was one of my favorites. First, he was from Pittsburgh. And secondly, he called very few penalties. And he had always had good, high-scoring, good football games. And so I never published that and never will. But it's interesting to see how the impact of limited penalties affects games. Well, you know, teams scout officials and and have a, uh, at least when I was around, and I'm sure it's done with most, if not all teams, um, a breakdown of how they've called games. And I think there are some coaches that are going to coach to that. Amen. They don't call a lot of offensive holding. Remember that this week. They don't call a lot of uh, illegal contact. Remember that this week if you're a uh, defensive back. Um, we're going against a team that we're going against with an official that doesn't call illegal ho- uh, contact very often. We're on offense. Uh-oh. <laughs> so we're, we're, we, hey, men, get ready for grabbing and jamming there. And, you know, if we're playing a man team, we better have more man beaters where we have, you know, bunch formations and crossing routes and picks on our side. So, uh, yeah, you, you have to weigh that in uh, with some subtleties in your game plan and your coaching. 
Now, you had such great success with the Washington Redskins in the NFC East, and the, and that's I say that in the old ways, now the Washington football team. So I'm not going to ask you specifically about the Washington football team, but what has happened to an NFC East that's 2-15-1 in non-division games? Well, I, it's a combination of things. Uh, the Giants are in a rebuilding program. Uh, the Redskins are in a rebuilding program. Uh, Ron Rivera came in, and therefore they weren't uh, signing high-quality players in free agency. They signed a bunch of, uh, in a sense, backups. They've got good depth. They don't have good starters, but they've got good depth. Some of that depth is starting, though. That's the problem. So that's two of the teams. Eagles decimated by injuries. I mean, they got they got killed right off the bat in that opening game with the Redskins, and the Redskins beat them. Uh, so the offensive line and the wide receiver position and now tight end, uh, that's a lot of players to take out of your lineup and still be, uh, be able to play at a high level. Then you've got uh, Dallas, which uh, uh, been really decimated with the offensive line. Then they lose Dak Prescott on top of that. Uh, then you go to defense. When they lost Jones, the corner, to, uh, to Miami, he, he was the key to that whole secondary because he was your number one corner, and you could use him that way if you wanted to. Now, you, now you, your corners are, are, are not quality, not high-quality corners. The safety was weak anyway. Quinn was a big loss, I thought. The Alden Smith has come back and done something for him. Dexter Lawrence hasn't played as well. So you take out your best corner, your secondary now becomes average to below. So now you can't cover. You take out uh, a quality pass rusher. Now you, now you can't rush the passer. So all of a sudden, your defense is really taking a big step backward. And your offensive line, which was the best part of your team for years, that's been decimated. So that's not the team everybody thought they are going to play with. Let's talk Seattle because uh, Russell Wilson having an MVP-type season with 19 touchdown passes and you know over 70% completions and that. But, of course, their defense has given up more yards on the average than any team in NFL history. Is that sustainable? Well, it, it might be this year. Okay. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Can you win a championship with it? History says you can't. Now, Wilson, to me, was the best quarterback in the league last year. Mahomes won the Super Bowl, but Wilson was better. Uh, and I say that, give Wilson the ball with two minutes to go, you nobody better. Now, this year, Wilson is playing at an extremely high level, but part of it is what we talked about at the beginning. The defense is not being as good, see? So he's ta- he's taking advantage of that. But the, he's as good as any quarterback in football, period. Um, now you got to look at who can beat them. Uh, Arizona will be interesting uh, with the, the game this weekend. Um, you know, the Rams be interesting uh, on it. Uh, when you go to the Central, you know, Green Bay's a, Green Bay, and we're talking about getting the playoffs now, Green Bay will be, Green Bay's a scoring contest. I don't know if Chicago can sustain it. The defense is playoff caliber. The NFCs, you know, there's nobody there that can compete with them. Uh, and you've got New Orleans and Tampa Bay. So, so that's your group. Um, and it, history says that defense is not going to be good enough to go all the way. Uh, and, and I think I'd have to stay with that. Yeah. And then final thought, Antonio Brown's available. Do you think anybody tries to sign him? Well, I guess Seattle's shown an interest. I, 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 don't, I don't know uh, and keep track of who might be interested. I kind of just react yeah. to it. I wouldn't touch the guy. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll has had some success with these kind of guys, and, and then he's fired him too. So uh, uh, I, I wouldn't bother with the guy, though. 
Hey, Charlie Castle from the NFL Network. It's great talking to you as always. You do such a great job in the network, and you've done such a great job for so many years. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Johnny, and you do a great job too. And, of course, you can check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor's Notes brought to you by uh, Infinity of Tacoma at 5. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines, catch you up what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Yeah, isn't it strange, uh, Curtis Rogers, at the, uh, you know, all the things that have happened to the Seahawks down in Arizona, in that desert, uh, and where, where things are. And I guess it's kind of fitting that the first game in, in the division is against the Arizona Cardinals because you've seen the great success this team since 2002 when Russell Wilson was a uh, rookie, uh, in his first game, he lost to Arizona. And then after that, in Arizona, he's 6 0 1. They've had great success on the field, even some of the games have been strange but also as we talked about you know there's been so much bad because you know whether it's Earl Thomas getting the fracture that ended his Seahawk career whether it was the Achilles tendon injury with Richard Sherman you know week 10 in 2017 is when Cam Chancellor suffered what turned out to be a career-ending neck injury and so the Legion of Boom ended there and the uh, team has succeeded there it's just weird it is and also not to you know don't forget the uh, tie game on Sunday Night Football a few oh, yeah. years ago which finished I think six to six was the final score both kickers missing chip shot field goals in overtime that would have won the game for either side uh, just bizarre happenstances that happen in that stadium and then obviously we don't need to, to rehash Super Bowl 49 I no. think that one's been uh, you know, drilled into the memory of NFL fans, especially NFL fans here in Seattle. Uh, just a weird, weird run of coincidences in that one specific stadium, State Farm Stadium down there in Glendale. Uh, but yeah, it's Sunday night, John. It's going to be an interesting one. You look at the injury reports because uh, that's you love looking at those things. Oh, yeah. uh, this time of the week, uh, DeAndre Hopkins probably the biggest one for both teams, even with Jamal Adams listed as a, a DNP yesterday. But DeAndre Hopkins, he hasn't practiced all week yet. Do you think he will go oh, on yeah. Sunday? He'll go. I mean, he's <laughs> he's done that for several weeks. I think it's just one of those veteran rest things to take care of his ankle until they get to the bye week. And, uh, you know, he's because to mind, I have to go back and look at this, but I think he's never missed a game. And so uh, I think it's just, you know, management. It's like it was interesting uh, when they did the injury report Wednesday. You know, they put DK Metcalf and uh, the Seahawks did uh, Tyler Lockett in. Uh, on did not practice because of load management. And so I think it's just a matter that you you know, take Hopkins, who can have the ankle and all that stuff, but I, you would imagine he's going to be able to play. He, he, he hasn't missed yet, and he's so important to that offense. I mean, as much as Larry Fitzgerald has been the main guy, a Hall of Fame wide receiver, caliber wide receiver, who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, now everything is kind of shift over to Hopkins. And so it's like, okay, you know, rest up during the week and get ready for the game on Sunday. What's also strange about this is that, uh, you know, how many times have these two teams now had to meet in, in night games? Because you know, with the Raiders having their problem with Kovitz and their offensive line and all that stuff, and it does look like Trenton Brown is going to be able to play because, again, you know he had to be kind of quarantined for five days, and it looks like he's going to be all right. And the other four starting offensive linemen are going to be there. Uh, they're not going to have Jonathan Abrams because you know he was in contact with uh, Trenton on t- Tuesday, so his five days aren't going to be up, so he's going to be a scratch for the 
game. But it's like, uh, you know, how about the fact that, you know, not only did the Seahawks now move and get the uh, Sunday night game, but now they have the, the second game against Arizona is a Thursday night. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, and I don't know where the NFL stands on this because everything changes day by day. But, you know, the max number of night games in primetime you can have is five. And so, uh, you know, this this will, uh, you know, this now becomes the fit. But I don't know just because of the change. You know, does that mean you can get more? Because, again, you know, Seattle, I think, gets good ratings. And so uh, but but again, both Arizona games are going to be night games. This one coming up Sunday and the Thursday night game here in Seattle against them. I feel like the NFL may have to may be forced to relax that rule of the five maximum games in primetime just because of how much shuffling there's been in the schedule. Uh, We don't we still don't know if the Raiders and Bucks are actually going to play on Sunday. They could get moved to Monday or Tuesday night. However, that shakes out. Uh, However, the the Raiders uh, sort of covid concerns play out over the next couple of days uh, remains to be seen. But for the NFL to cap the Seahawks or really any team, because I know the Chiefs have already played three primetime games this season, uh, or three Monday night games plus a Thursday night game. So I think the Chiefs have already played four in the first five games, something like that. Uh, you know, those the Chiefs and Seahawks are teams that get ratings across the league. They are teams that are going to uh, draw eyes to the NFL product. And so to cap any team at five games in, in prime time this season, John, I think is a little hasty on the NFL's part just because of the uncertainty. We're not even halfway done with the season yet, and they've had to shuffle around so many games. Uh, there, I would be stunned if the Seahawks uh, don't get moved into a primetime slot uh, later on this season or, or any other team that's near that cap. I would be stunned if the Chiefs uh, don't get moved into primetime the rest of the season. To to limit it at five just seems a little yeah. bit uh, a little bit uh, a rush decision here. Well, to your point, of course, uh, you know the uh, the Chiefs have actually two more games in primetime, November 22nd against the uh, Raiders, and then they have a December 6th home game against the Denver Broncos. Now, that may be flexed out because is going to be so one-sided. And, you know, it's like we talk about all the changes because of COVID testing and positive tests and everything else. But, you know, I'm, I'm still in this big theme, theme of home uh, haves and have-nots where there's so many have-nots that, you know, they're going to be out. Like, for example, uh, it raises the stakes of where it's going to go. Because, I mean, you kind of look in the NFC. I mean, I think there's a decent chance, you know, as long as Maybe one, you know, you can have three teams and possibly four teams in this division make it because of the NFC East and the AFC East that they play. Uh, you can also look at, okay, you know, the top two teams in the NFC South, New, uh, Tampa Bay and New Orleans, they're going to make it. You know, Green Bay is going to make it. And so all these teams that are one or two wins, you know, they're going to be pretty well out of it in the next two, three weeks, which is amazing. It is. It is. I think the the playoff race this year in the NFL probably going to be one of the least uh, one of the least crazy we've seen because it, it's starting to become more and more clear which teams are going to uh, be the contenders, which teams are not, and we're only through what six weeks of the season here, mm-hmm. and we kind of get a good picture of who's going to be at least competing for playoff spots throughout the league. You know, usually this time there's a lot more gray area, but uh, not the case right now. John, uh, Bruce Arians yesterday had his press conference, and obviously there's so much uncertainty with them playing the Raiders. Uh, he was asked about you know going up against a team that 
uh, you know, potentially at risk here. Uh, and Bruce Arians said he doesn't want his guys mingling with the Raiders players after the game. You know, he doesn't want them shaking their hands. He doesn't want them, you know, get, dapping them up, trading jerseys, what have you. Do you think that is something the NFL is going to come down on teams for doing? Because they really haven't so much this season. We see it all the time after games, guys shaking hands, whatnot. Um, you know, do you think that is something the NFL will start to enforce here? No, I hope not. I mean, because again, it's like you can make the suggestions and you can have the individual teams try to pull things off. But I mean, if you're out there for three hours, right, and you're you know going head to head against you know other players, it's like okay, uh, if you can't catch anything there with the spitting, the sweating, all the different stuff that's out there, it's like uh, you know what's what's a hand, handshake at the end of the game going to do, or at least you know a fist bump or whatever. I think that uh, that gets a to be a little bit too much because you're out there and say what you want. <clears throat> None of all these guys have at least passed their test or they're not going to be on the field. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, what you need to do, make sure that some of the coaches and you know, they, they just kind of you know, wave and do all those different things. But, uh, I, 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 you know, changing of jerseys. No, you know, you can send a jersey at the end of the week or something like that or send it on Monday. But, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, you, you can overdo this stuff, too, because, again, say what you want. It's like there, we have no instance right now of a game uh, transfer or a game spread. I mean, in all these games, I mean, even Tennessee, did you see, you know, the anything coming out of that with Buffalo this week? Not really. And so, uh, you know, that can be a little bit too much. Uh, also, John, some fallout from last night. The Eagles did get the Ugh. win over the Giants, but uh, Deshaun Jackson placed on IR this morning after he played, uh, and then Lane Johnson appeared to have set a, a setback or appeared to have suffered a setback. He's getting an MRI today. Uh, what, was it worth it for the Eagles to play those guys, knowing that they may have done some long-term damage here? I guess so, because now at least they are in a position to maybe make the playoffs with a 6-9-1 and record. I mean, they're 2-4-1 right now, and nobody in that division seems to be good enough to win an out-of-division games because they're 2-15-1, and and there's still, what, 22 more games left in that uh, slot. And so, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, you have to kind of wonder about injury management because, I mean, now with uh, Johnson, who had a first-degree MCL sprain, and it was a high ankle sprain for Deshaun Jackson, now you're talking you're down eight starters on offense, eight, and you have four of your starting offensive linemen that are you know, still going to be injured. I know that it's just a mess. It's it's really bad, and you can see from Dallas, Dallas now, Zach Martin, he's not going to be able to play against the concussion, so they're down to starting four offensive linemen out of five, so Connor Williams is the only one left. It's pretty bad. Hey, coming up next, we're going to check in with Ron Wolfley, who is on the Cardinals broadcasting team and uh, doing the color and getting a look at what's going on with the Arizona Cardinals. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.